So we're doing this series on vision, mission, values, vision of the church, the mission of the church, and the values of the church. And you'll remember last week I gave the example of, the, of what a vision, a mission, and a value are. The vision that we talked about last week that I had when I was sitting in the driveway with my family in the car was, anybody remember? The 3,400-mile road trip that we were going to go on. That was the vision we envisioned going on this road trip as a family where we were going we to see all these old friends, and we were going to have fun in their backyards, and our kids were going to meet their kids. And that was the vision that we were heading towards. But there we sat in our driveway in the minivan, and the vision was not realized at all. We had a mission to drive 3,400 miles around the country to see all these people. So the mission was drive, drive, drive. As we were driving, though, we realized we had to hold on to some essential things. We had to create a culture in the car if we were going to make it 3,400 miles. And there were two things that we said, these things are essential we're going to make it. Does anyone remember what those things are from last week? Protect the iPad. If the iPad gets broke, we're in trouble because the kids are going to get bored real quick. And the second thing, stay positive, right? When we're in traffic jams, it doesn't help anybody if we are have a bad attitude. So those are the two values that helped us drive the 3,400 miles. That was our mission in order to see the vision realized. And we're talking about vision, mission, and values. Last week, we talked about our vision. The first part of our vision, we envision a blended family of diverse people gathering together to joyfully worship King Jesus. And we looked at that first statement last week out of Revelation 7 and Revelation 5, this picture of where God is taking us as his people into our ultimate destiny, worshiping Christ together forever. Amen? But our, our vision is also to be a people that not just gather, but go out. We go out to proclaim and demonstrate God's kingdom among all people, sectors of society, and spheres of life. Isaiah 9-7. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it, with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 10. Isn't this the fast I choose? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, and to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your flesh, your own flesh and blood. Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your, your rear guard. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Luke 1, 31-33. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Matthew six thirty three, Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Luke six twenty. 
Then looking up at his disciples, Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Luke 17, 21, 20 through 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom, kingdom of God is not coming with something observable, observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. Last, our last scripture here, you'll see the key word for this sermon, Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He, that's God the Father, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that, I believe that's one of your words to fill in there, but that's also the theme of our sermon today. We're going to be talking about demonstrating the kingdom. About four years ago, <clears throat> I had an early morning meeting at Dunkin' Donuts down on Federal Highway. And uh, at the time, we were living here on Madison Street, just a couple blocks away. And I got up early for this early morning meeting. It was still dark out. And I drove up Hollywood Boulevard, kind of a quarter of a way around Arts Park, south on Federal. And a couple blocks down, there's those motels. And as I drive by, drove by one of the motels, I, I saw this woman, and, um, and she was working. If you know what I mean, she was working. And I could tell that she had had a rough time, and that it had been uh, a hard life, and um, that she was probably on something. And it caused me to wrestle, because I thought, what would I say to her? What good news would I have for her? If I got out of the car and were to engage her in conversation, what would I say? Well, I would certainly say this. Listen, God loves you. And Jesus died for you. And you can have every sin that you've ever committed forgiven because Jesus Christ has take your, taken your place on the cross. Amen. That's wonderful news. That's not bad news. That's good news. But it's also caused me to think about other people. It's caused me to think about some of the kids and the teenagers in our very neighborhood right here that surround the church. What good news would I tell them? What good news would you tell them? Well, certainly we teach our children and any children that come in this church and any kids that we interact with, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells us so. Amen. That's absolutely true. But is there more good news? Is there more good news for them? It's made me also think about some of the structures in our community uh, maybe the person behind that woman on the corner, the pushers and the pimps on the streets, what news do we have for them? Well, certainly it's this, you need to turn around and stop oppressing people and repent of your sins and seek forgiveness from Jesus and he'll give it to you and he'll give you a brand new life. You will have eternal life. You will be declared righteous in God's eyes because Jesus traded places with you you will be a child of God, and that's good news. That's great news. But I've often wondered, is there something more that has something to do with their immediate situation? For that lady on the corner, what if I were to say everything that I'd said to her, but also this, God sees you. God sees you, and I see you. And because God is compassionate, we are going to show our compassion to your situation. And I realize your situation is complicated, but we're committed to walk with you and help you out of this situation 
even if it costs us time, energy, and risks our safety and, and comfort. What about the kids in our neighborhood? Certainly, Jesus loves you this, we know, for the Bible tells us so. But what if we were to step in and say, we want to walk with you, and we want to teach you what we've learned, and we want to provide role models in your life, and we want to take you after school and tutor you so that you can do the best you possibly can in school, and we want to give our lives to you. Or what about the person who's an oppressor in our neighborhood? Listen, you're actually part of the brokenness of this world, but through what Christ has done, you, you can actually become part of what he's doing to fix this world. You get to be part of restoring the very things that you're breaking. That sounds like good news. The good news of the gospel is definitely about our salvation and our forgiveness of sins and our being declared righteous in God's eyes and our being justified and getting eternal life with God. It's all of those things. But there's part of the good news that's also about this. It's not just about going to heaven when we die, but heaven breaking in now. But heaven breaking in now through the person of Jesus and through the people of Jesus. Heaven coming here through this broken, into this broken world through us as the people of Jesus. I want to read you a quote. Estimates are that at least 80% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day and some 795 million people do not have enough food to live a healthy life. This is a quote by one of my friends who's a pastor in St. Louis. And he says, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, there is an average of one doctor for every 10,000 people. One doctor for every 10,000 people. And in the capital city of Kinshasa, where we have been doing extensive mission work since 2002, a group of pastors asked us for extra help. Their problem? Because of the lack of food in the capital city, the poorest of the poor were frequently going hungry. As a result, parents were sending their young daughters out to the streets to sell their bodies in order to buy food. And these girls were getting pregnant, and because they could not feed another mouth, were abandoning their babies on the doorsteps of the local churches. Imagine preaching a gospel that said, Jesus will forgive your sins and give you eternal life. Pause. That is amazing news. Okay? But then imagine preaching a gospel that said, good news, the rule and reign of God has come. And the Lord Jesus has compassion for you and wants us to show you his goodness by feeding you and caring for your family. And he is both Lord and Savior and offers you the free forgiveness of your sins and acceptance into his eternal kingdom through faith in it's not that the good news is not good enough, but that we haven't gotten enough of the good news in us. It's not that we need to add something to the message of the good news. The problem is that we have not embraced the fullness of the good news of the kingdom. Write down fullness. The problem is that we have not embraced the fullness of the good news of the kingdom. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you might say, Churches are good for nothing. They just sit in their pews and they don't help anybody. 
That's true on some level. But the issue and the problem isn't that we're too Christian. The issue is that we're not Christian enough. We haven't got enough of the good news. We haven't embraced the fullness of the good news of the kingdom of God and committed to demonstrate that in our broken world. What is the good news of the kingdom? When Jesus comes on the scene, one of the very first things that he says is that he announces the presence of the kingdom of God now on earth. He announces it. But then most of his teaching, he's actually unpacking what the kingdom of God is. If you're familiar with his parables, most of them start off, the kingdom of God is like, and then he tells a story to explain the kingdom of God. And many of the ethics he teaches are ethics of what it's like to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. See, when Jesus comes on the scene, he announces the kingdom. Let me read you a couple scriptures at the very beginning of his ministry in Matthew 4. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Next passage, Mark 1, 14-15. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then lastly, Luke 4. When it was day, Jesus went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. See, Jesus, what he's saying here is like the preface of a book. If you read chapters 1 through 100 of a book, you'll get a lot out of it. But you won't know the trajectory it's on until you read the very beginning. It's the author's preface where he tells you what he's about to do through the rest of the book. And that's what Jesus is doing when he tells us about the kingdom of God and announces it. All his salvific work, everything that he does for us on the cross, the justification, the eternal relationship with God, being declared righteous and forgiven, Jesus puts under the preface of the gospel of the kingdom. The good news that God's reign and rule is now present in the brokenness of our world. A helpful definition of the kingdom of God is the government of heaven. You can write down government. The government of heaven breaking into this broken world. It's the rain, not like rain from the sky, but R-E-I-G-N. The reign and rule of God coming into this world through Jesus. And Jesus announced that. He taught it, but then he also demonstrated it. He demonstrated it. And we see that in some of these passages. He goes out and shows what the kingdom of God is like by healing the sick and casting out demons from those who are oppressed. Or he includes outsiders and he restores people's God-given dignity. In short, Jesus is doing show and tell of the kingdom of God. Remember show and tell, right, from first grade? Uh, you could tell, but you also had to show. In other words, you could say, look, I, I have a stuffed teddy bear, but you also had to bring it and show it. Or you could show it, but you also had to tell about it. You couldn't just stand up there with your teddy bear and not explain what it was. Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of God, but then he's showing us. He's announcing it and teaching about it, but then he's also demonstrating it as he ministers. Jesus is king. And when the king steps on the scene, he brings with him a kingdom. 
Now, the kingdom is not of this world, but that does not mean the kingdom is not in this world. It's the government of heaven. It's not of this world, but it's breaking into this world. And the kingdom is present in the hearts of people who are submitting to the king. And then those people become people who demonstrate the kingdom. John Calvin used to write, used to use this phrase that's really helpful. He said, our calling is to make the invisible kingdom of God visible. You can write down visible. Making the invisible kingdom of God visible. It's the reign and rule of God demonstrated in our broken world. I'll tell you a story about a pastor in West Africa named Pastor Salu. And Pastor Salu was a pastor who had both a church and an orphanage. And he really cared for these kids in this orphanage. And his church could only hold about 200 people, and it was an open-air uh, building that they were in, so there were no walls. And the problem was they had about 250 people in their congregation. And so 200 people sat inside, but another 50 sat outside under the beating sun while he would preach and while they'd sing. Pastor Salu began to talk to his congregation, and they were able to raise the money to buy a new parcel of land where they could build a bigger building. They purchased the land, they signed the contracts, but they didn't have the money yet to begin construction. And one day, Pastor Salu walked past that particular plot of land that they had bought, and there were people doing construction. He went up to them and he said, uh, what's going on? We don't have the money to start construction. And they looked at Salu, who was the owner of that property, and they said, well, the owner told us to begin construction. Well, Pastor Salu was really uh, confused, so he went down to the city hall, and he said, what's going on in the parcel of land that we have bought? They're doing construction on it. We haven't ordered that, nor do we have the money for it. And the city council told Pastor Salu, uh, we have no record of you purchasing the land. It turns out that someone in the city government had wanted that land and basically thrown away the record of them buying the land and took the land for himself. Now, of course, Pastor Salu and his congregation were perplexed. They did not know what to do. What do we do? Then they read in Matthew 5, a passage about what it means to demonstrate the kingdom of God. And they read this thing about, you can love your friends, but what about loving your enemies? And they read in Romans 12 about, when your enemy persecutes you, give him a cold cup of water and give him something to eat. And so Pastor Salu and his congregation simply meant, went to the men who were doing construction on the parcel of land that was theirs, and all they had was cold cups of water and snacks for the construction workers. Do you see the government of heaven breaking in? Do you see how the kingdom of God gets demonstrated? Well, when the city council heard about what Pastor Salu had done, they were stunned. And they were convinced. And the city council decided what we've done is not right. We need to actually provide a new parcel of land for Pastor Salu and his congregation. And they did. But do you see, even if they hadn't, something otherworldly had just become exposed. The ways of God in the midst of oppression, robbery, and persecution. Cold cups of water and snacks for the very people who are doing evil against him. The kingdom of God is demonstrated. That's part of the look 
of the kingdom. The look of the kingdom is love for enemies and mercy for the vulnerable and justice for the oppressed and compassion for the marginalized and taking up the cause of people who are not able to defend themselves and take up their own causes. And that's not a new agenda for the people of God here in this church or Jesus. That's always been the agenda of God. All throughout God's law in the Old Testament, over and over and over, he had laws reminding his people to protect the widow and don't do any injustice against the orphan and welcome the stranger and refugee and to not oppress the poor. You look in Isaiah 1, God starts off by calling out his people and saying, that is something that you have not done, and I want you to do these things. And if you look all throughout the law in Exodus and Deuteronomy, over and over and over, you see these categories of people, the widow, the orphan, the refugee, and the poor. And always God is saying, in, in this kingdom that I'm setting up among you, the weakest are to be the ones who are most taken care of. The vulnerable are the ones that I have a special concern for, and I want you to watch out for. The kingdom of God demonstrated on earth is very backwards in our society, where in our society and most societies throughout history, the weak are taken advantage of. And the reason is, is because we are meant to be a demonstration plot of what God's doing on earth. If you've ever drove, driven through cornfields in like Illinois, you'll see all this corn, and out in front of it, there'll be a sign that says, Apex Corn Seed. And you'll know that the field behind it is Apex Corn Seed. And as you drive, and you go to Acme Corn Seed in the next lot, you get to compare the two. The lots, the plots, are demonstrations of the seed. And in the same way, the church and the people of God are meant to be demonstration plots of the kingdom of God. People are meant to see the mercy and justice and love and compassion of God demonstrated through us. There's always been a bent towards the marginalized and the vulnerable and the oppressed in God's ways. Now, that doesn't mean that people who are poor don't have to repent and believe the good news. No, of course not. Yet, there is a way that within the kingdom of God, there's a bent towards caring for those who are poor and marginalized and need justice. That's why over and over and over again, God throughout his law says, watch out for the widow, protect the orphan, look out for the refugee, do not oppress the poor. It's like this, if you have two children, and one is healthy, and one has some sort of disability, you expect your child who's healthy, to help you care for the one with the disability. Would we expect anything more, anything less from our king? <clears throat> God has a special concern for those who are marginalized, vulnerable, and oppressed. And as we demonstrate the kingdom, compassion, justice, mercy, and goodness are demonstrated. That's, that's the look of the kingdom. And God gave his people in the Old Testament these rules, not because they're busy work. What should I do? I don't have anything for my people to do. Well, I'll just tell them to not oppress the poor. No, that actually is an expression of his heart and what he cares about. The kingdom of God is an expression of what God cares about. And the look of the kingdom is love and mercy and justice and compassion. And that kingdom is our calling. That kingdom is our calling. Write down look and then write down calling. We're summoned into something. We're summoned to be part of something. We're saved out of darkness 
into the kingdom of the Son that God loves. And I think we've lost this sense in American Christianity that there's not just an individual calling that God has given you, but there's a corporate calling. There's something that we're demonstrating together. And the individual calling part of like what God's calling you to do and be as a person is not wrong, but we've lost the fact that God is calling his church to be something together. We're saved out of darkness and saved together into light. Colossians 1, let's put it up again. Colossians 1, he has rescued not individuals, but us. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. One of my seminary professors used to say this, God doesn't save people. And I was like, what? He said, God saves people for a purpose, together. God has called us out of darkness together in order that we might demonstrate who He is and what His kingdom is about here in Hollywood and Howland. Your individual salvation is for something. You're not just saved out of something and then go, well, what do you want to do with your life? You're saved out of darkness in order that together we might display the compassion and justice and mercy and love of God. We're saved for a purpose together. There's this thing in European soccer, European football called Typho. And typho is when fans unite together to put something on display. When they walk into their stadium, they're given a little card with a color on it. And by themselves, it doesn't look like anything until they join together and they put something and demonstrating, demonstrate something together. I'm going to show you the video here. I hesitated to put that up because I don't like that team, but I, uh, it was a good illustration. Um, but you see, you just saw the colors, right? Each of those things across the stadium were people holding up signs that were demonstrating their support for that particular team. And now we don't hold up, you know, two by two cards that have colors on them. Rather, we do actions of compassion and love and mercy. And justice. And as we do those things together, and as we give ourselves over to that calling together, something is displayed for the world to see. You have been saved out of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Jesus has saved you out of darkness to be part of His kingdom and His kingdom agenda. And part of our calling as a church, is to demonstrate to people what that kingdom is like. It's to demonstrate to people. It's to tell people about the forgiveness of the king, but it's also to demonstrate what the king is like. Because he's ruling and reigning in our hearts, and so what his priorities are become our priorities, and then we live those things out together. Now, some may not see it, and some may reject it, but some will see it, and they'll give their entire life to it. It'll be the pearl of great price that they see when they see the rule and reign of Jesus. One of my friends, another one of my friends in St. Louis was named, uh, named Steve. And Steve uh, was a wealthy man. 
And he was just kind of floundering in his Christian faith. He was just kind of reading the next book. He would go to church, and he just couldn't figure out what was next and what God was calling him into. And then he began to get involved in a lower-income community and actually sold his business, moved into the lower-income community, and began starting and, and ministering among the poor in that community. And after a while, like 12 different ministries sprung up. There was a ministry for at-risk teens where they would teach them a job skill in order that they might not get into trouble, but find a positive outlet. There was a program for after-school tutoring. There was a program that offered free legal counsel for people who couldn't pay for it. There was a program where doctors came in once a month and gave free medical care to refugees. And all these things just grew up and blossomed in the compassion, justice, and love of God were demonstrated. And Steve's kind of a bold guy, and he likes to take people and show them all the things that God is doing because that's what it was for him. He was changed by seeing things and seeing the kingdom demonstrated. And he had one particular conversation he had with a man, another Christian, who was, who was really frustrated by Steve because Steve kept saying, there's more, there's more. Come and see the compassion and love and justice of God on display. And so Steve sat down with this guy over coffee to kind of have another debate about these things. And the guy brought one of his friends. And as Steve told this friend and the guy about everything that God was doing in the ministries and, and what it looks like to, to give yourself over to the poor and to display compassion and justice and love together, uh, the, the original guy got mad, but the second guy began to cry. And he said, I've been looking for this. I just keep reading the next book, the next Christian book, and, and I want some way to demonstrate the good news of God's love. Well, the conversation ended, and the second man who had cried went back to his work, and Steve went back to the ministries. But an hour later, the guy called him and said, look, if what you're saying is real, I cannot believe it until I see it. Steve drove over immediately, picked the guy up, and showed him all the different ministries that were displaying the love and compassion and goodness of God. A month later, that man quit his job. He quit his job and he started a ministry with those other ministries that was there to feed the people in all those ministries. He started a ministry to feed the children in the after-school tutoring and to feed the teenagers and just provide meals for people who were hungry. There was a school that was started, and they found out that many of the, of the kids who were coming to school came hungry. He said, let's start a ministry that feeds those children. And last year, I believe it was in one year, they were able to provide 200,000 free or low-cost meals for all the different people in the ministry. See, that man saw something. He saw the kingdom of God on display, and as he looked at what Jesus had done for him and forgiving his sins and his salvation and declaring him righteous and promising him eternity, he said, I want to be part of the kingdom of God breaking into this broken world right now. He quit his job. Now, some of you uh, might quit your jobs, but you don't have to do that. I think the kingdom of God among us looks like Trisha going down and working with at-risk youth at the University of Miami for a month. I think it looks like Chad and Ellie and others committing to go every Monday night and feeding the homeless in our park. 
I think it looks like you using the education that you've had, not just to gain money, but to actually give yourself away and put God's love and compassion on display. And my prayer, my prayer for this church is that we would really give ourselves over to these things and that we would pray, your kingdom come. My hope for this church is that together we could start a ministry that's completely outward focused, completely focused on demonstrating God's kingdom in our neighborhood. That displays his compassion and his love and his justice for those who are vulnerable. And so I want to ask us, would you commit to praying for that? Part of this being our vision is that we don't see it quite yet, but we're heading towards it. And I want to ask you, would you commit to praying your kingdom come, God, through Nisim, through us as we submit to the king and as we find forgiveness and, and commit to display the kingdom? Because here's the good news. God is so much more committed to these things than we can ever imagine. And even as we talk about being in a financial shortfall, if we step out on faith and say, God, we want you to work in us, he will provide what we need in order to make it happen. But it happens as we pray and as we cry out and say, God, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we get to be part of your kingdom. And though it is a kingdom that's not of this world, it's definitely in this world, and yet it's a struggle to seek your kingdom. There's so many things that keep us from that, Lord. The way the world is set up, it's set up to, it's set up as a kingdom of me. So I pray that we would turn away from our self-seeking, Lord, begin to rely on your power in new ways. And we, we pray, Lord, that you would bring something to expression in us and through us that we might be able to display your compassion and love and forgiveness. And then as we put your kingdom on display, we get to point people to the king and say, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Turn to him and find grace. Amen. Let's stand and sing.